This is Stories of Strength by MuscleTech, personal and inspirational tales that redefine strength. Welcome to another episode of Stories of Strength by MuscleTech, a podcast where we share personal and inspirational tales that redefine strength. I'm your host, Jay Cardiello, and today I'm speaking with Gracie Gold. She's a professional figure skater and Olympian, having won bronze during the Olympic team event in skating at the 2004 Winter Games in Sochi. She is here today to talk about her time on the ice and to discuss the importance of mental health awareness and advocacy for our nation's top athletes. Gracie, it's an honor to have you on your show. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. So how did you get started with skating? Um, so I had just turns, I just turned eight years old and one of my good friends that I just made, I was pretty new to Springfield, Missouri, and he had his birthday party at the local ice rink. So after we had presents, cake that comes with a one hour public skate. So laced up the rental skates, hopped out on the ice and I immediately fell in love I was doing a lot of other sports at the time, just, you know, maybe once, twice a week, but I didn't have any weekend activities. And my twin sister, Carly, was horseback riding at the time. And uh, um, I wasn't really vibing horseback riding or like horses in general, (laughs) not really for me. So when I found skating, I grabbed the flyer at the front desk for the weekly learn to skate and it snowballed from there. Oh, that's great. That is great. I can remember back to my track and field days. And in 1996, I broke my spine. I had 16 major surgeries to put it all back together. I had to learn to walk. And during that time, I had to come face to face with my mental health issues. I was a survivor of sexual abuse. And it still to this day wrenches me in my stomach when I talk about it. Getting back to rehabilitation from my back took a back seat because I now had to deal with the struggles of sexual abuse that I had hidden for 20 years. And when I realized that I had to do this and get and confront this sexual abuse and and confront this person, it brought me to a point of major depression. When did you realize that you were struggling? Um, I'm sorry to hear about um, what happened to you and the spinal fracture sounds, wow, that rehab must have been physically demanding on top of everything else. Um, sure. Um, I knew at first I just wasn't doing that well. Like I was having difficulty just executing even sometimes simple things, um, Mm -hmm. in terms of just making, just doing the dishes at the end of, you know, I just, I was getting, started to get a lot of takeout because cooking just felt too much. I just felt so heavy is I guess how I could describe it as if, I, you know, the weight of the world was on my shoulders and, or almost like I was moving through peanut butter. Like everything just felt so difficult. And, you know, I'd kind of been not depressed and felt the same way for so many years. So then this change of just getting slower and heavier and less motivated and not really finding joy in the usual activities and everything just felt like a struggle, which you know, after some point that just, you know, like water against rocks, just, it just wears you down. And Mm -hmm. I was, I just became amazed at how much of the day I could sleep away. Sure. And just didn't care about, I just had this apathy towards 
everything. Mm -hmm. Um, just uninterested in anything really life had to offer. And, you know, it sounds pretty dark, but it also is. And that's, I didn't put a name to it for a long time because I just thought, snap out of it. Let's go. You know, and um, a lot of people around me at the time weren't, wasn't their fault. They, they didn't know. They weren't well versed in mental health in terms of, or certainly how to help somebody that was struggling. Um, You know, it was the tail end of the season before the Olympic season. So every other skater, every other coach, you know, everyone has their own thing going on trying to qualify for the Olympics. And, you know, from the outside, I'm sure it very much looked like I just wasn't into skating or I was just being lazy or, you know, all of those things. But internally, yeah, just amazed at how much of the day I could sleep away. Yeah. I know a lot of athletes as of recent, such as Kevin Love, the NBA star, stepping up and sharing their struggles with mental health. What prompted you to finally step up? I guess at first, um, so I kind of just dropped off the grid when I checked into treatments. Um, I didn't even stop by home. Um, I came right from an event of sorts, um, 45 days and, you know, no phone, um, no internet, no nothing. So I essentially fell off. I just had a landline and, mm-hmm. um, there were certain phone times in like the rehab treatment facility. And so I only had like two people's phone number memorized. So those were like the only two people I could call. <laughs> um, so at first it was kind of, Oh, like why did Gracie drop out of the grand prix series? Like she's not, you know, effectively like not going to the 2018 games and then to find out that it's because I was in a mental health facility and, you know, at first it was just a simple press release of saying, Hey guys, um, this is where I've been and these are my struggles. So, you know, I will be withdrawing from the Grand Prix and the amount of support that I got from the figure skating community, as well as other communities, but especially the skating community, um, was tremendous and people wanted to know more. I was really afraid at first, almost embarrassed um, mm-hmm. Like, I didn't wish that I had a physical injury, but, um, you know, as we've seen with a bunch of athletes that have had mental health struggles with a physical injury, nobody asks for validation or, you know, no one says, let's see the x-ray or for verification. But with mental health, it is typically people just think, oh, it's a cop out. Oh, it's an excuse. They just, you know, mm-hmm. lost their edge. And some people did tell me that they just, they were just so mistaken. Um So that's kind of how it started. And then uh, I realized that really not a lot of people in skating, um, especially talked about mental health. It's a sport that can be really detrimental to your mental health. And like with young women, if not handled appropriately, or if you don't have the support system and then, you know, just learning more and more and being more involved in the mental health community, you know, we really live in a world that doesn't understand mental health and all the stigmas around it. And so just been trying to do my part to break that. I want to thank you for your courage and bravery. And I know when I was struggling with depression, I would hear a lot of negative things, which, which caused me to sink to a lower place. And I'm just glad that you're stepping up and saying the truth and inspiring so many people. I want to thank you for that. You know, as we're watching the Olympics, what, what is your impression or what did you think when you heard about Simone Biles stepping back? 
I thought that it was incredibly brave because, you know, you know, when she made that decision, she knew what the possible feedback would be from other even Olympians and just the rest of the world. You know, millions of people are watching. And as I said, especially with athletes and Olympians and superheroes, you know, she's the greatest gymnast of all time. Um, some people seem to think that mental health, you know, mental health uh, struggles and mental illness don't discriminate. And some people think that with Olympians, it's somehow, you know, misses or anyone that's just exceptional mm. in their craft as if it just kind of would bypass them. And I thought that it was so brave of her to be honest. And I was frustrated with, you know, a lot of people had some hot takes and in a negative way. And I just, there was a tweet I read and, um, it said it really well. Essentially it said, you know, Simone might not hear what you guys have to say about coming forward with her mental health, but your friends struggling in silence will. And, mm -hmm. you know, for all the people blasting her when in fact, just I really just brave. And I think a huge step forward for, you know, the mental health community and just, I just love the conversation that we're starting to have around it. You know, mental health is, is so imperative when it comes to athletics. We always, you know, you always hear the it's 95% mental, 5% talent. Why do you think some of the media are, are criticizing Simone Biles for focusing on her mental health? I just, I think, I mean, it just, um, as I said, you know, like if she broke a bone or if she tore a muscle or if any athlete, you know, people run over and there's all this help, there's all this support, there's all this understanding, you know, the world would be devastated for her. Nobody would say, mm, as I said, like, let me see that x-ray. Like, is it really that broken? You know, push through. No, you would not push through on any kind of debilitating injury. You know, you would do less, you would back off. And with mental health, it just isn't like that. People don't understand mental health. And, you know, if you say, oh, depression, anxiety, or any other kind of mental illness, you know, eating disorder, instead of running to help that person and, you know, the support system coming together, I often find people take a step back and even worse, people take a step back and think, mm, she's faking. Wh why would she like, what do you, you know, she didn't have to go to this Olympics and she was still, you know, the greatest gymnast ever. Um, and so and also the media can just be extremely problematic, but you know, they always, they love a story and it was of course like big news, but instead a lot of, a lot of people and a lot of media just, I hated how they attacked her and nobody mm -hmm. was supporting her for saying good for you. Like mental health does come first, especially when she's doing all these crazy things, you know, that she could get so injured on. Um, sure. when the mind body connection isn't there to perform at not just a high level, but at, you know, the athlete for someone who's the best in the world, it becomes a safety hazard. And this country has a lot of dead Olympians, sure. has a lot of dead Olympians, um, from suicide. So that wow. really says a lot. And and, you know, other countries, mine as well. I just know for this country. Um, and 
so many, you know, Olympians and extremely high level athletes have kind of started to come out. And if she had pushed through, like what place would that have brought her mental health? Like we don't need another dead Olympian for the sake of the media or a bunch of random people at home. So brave. I think she was brave. She was brave. And, um, it makes me think, and you had mentioned supports, support staff. There was a news reporter just the other day that said that maybe if her friends or family or a better support system were in place because of the pandemic, they couldn't have had it. Do you think the outcome would have been different if she would have had her family and friends beside her? Or is it too tough a call to make? Um, I don't know Simone personally, and I don't know what her support system is like. Um, and you know, any changes and with the pandemic, you know, I don't, I definitely can't speak on that or if that would have made it better or if anything, you know, would have made it like better. I have no idea, but I know for, I know for myself, um, you know, it's not totally just up to, but like friends, family, coaches, and there's also professional help. And oftentimes I find with, um, NGBs and kind of any group that falls under, you know, the USOC umbrella, the top of the line physicians and physios, trainers, you know, always employed and really kind of at the bottom of the list are mental health professionals. And a lot of times I found that they specialize really just in sports psychology and just helping you compete. But mm-hmm. there is kind of that disconnect where, you know, I, I can't talk to my sports psych. And sometimes they say, oh, I just do sports psychology. I don't do, you know, anything else. Like we're not going to talk about like your feelings or stuff at home. But in fact, when that isn't in check, and let's say if your friends and family haven't been there to support you, then there's really no one to turn to. Um, So I hope that our friends and family were there for her, as I hope they are for everybody. Yeah. I'd like to share a quote with you. It says, where there's no struggle, there's no strength. And that's what I think about you. And I think about Simone and showing that you need help is it definitely a sign of strength. And what, what's a key factor that I think a lot of people are missing. I think they should need to teach in education is self-awareness, which is key. Do you think there needs to be a change from the mental health perspective when it comes to professional and amateur athletics? I mean, self-awareness is a big thing. I, I found that, um, at least in myself, I didn't know right away, for example, that I had depression because my depression presented differently than, you know, what we read in textbooks and like the very brief, like mental health chapter that I'm sure we had to do, but it was when you're really sad. And oftentimes it was after something bad had happened and, you know, there is tears and you feel blue and that was kind of it, but it can present in so many ways. So yeah, I guess the world a large part of the world and people and everyone in it, just they understand mental health, I guess, on some level, to be fair. But when Mm -hmm. that doesn't present, when it doesn't present the stereotypical way, people don't know how to react. So when my depression was sleeping more than half the day away, when there weren't any tears, when it was just apathy, when it was irritability, Uh, when it inconvenienced someone in any way or it presented in a different way, they reacted very differently. Um, Like a lot of times with eating disorders, you know, you don't have to be rail thin um, to have an eating disorder. 
but that's so really true. the assumption. Um, really, you can have disordered eating or a specific eating disorder at any weight, but that's an example of, oh, you're not thin enough. I heard that several times in my life. Well, you're not thin enough to have anorexia. You know, you don't like look at you like you don't have an eating disorder. Like you're fine. Like this is just what figure skaters do. So a prime example of just not understanding mental health and it just should be taught more and it should be talked about more. Cause when I first realized, I'm sure I, you know, when I first realized, Oh, this is how mine presented, you know, presented differently. And these were kind of my symptoms and my feelings. I thought, Oh, I identify with that. And Oh, so I do have depression because it's not just your like one line definition in a textbook. And, um, yeah, I think it should probably be taught to everyone because as I said, mental illness, mental health like does not discriminate against age, race, where you live, um, gender. It affects, it can affect anybody equally. And especially in sports, you know, everyone's taught about the physical side. You know, mm -hmm. coaches are there to coach you on the ice. Trainers are there for your physical body. Sports psychologists help you compete. But there is a disconnect in, you know, what about me? Like not Gracie Golds, but just Gracie the person. Because if my mm -hmm. when my home life was on fire, how was I supposed to just go to the rink and not just, oh, I spilled my coffee in the morning. I mean, like really big life events happening in my personal life. And then to go to the rink and expect, you know, I and expect my male coach from a very different generation to be able to relate. You know, they're not. Their coach, like coaches aren't trained to be mental health professionals. Trainers aren't trained. There are mental health professionals and they're really just not enough of them where they should be when they should be. You bring up a very valid point because I know when I hurt my back, I, I am, I saw the sports psychologist and they were dealing, they were saying, you know, your depression is because of the career being over. You can't jump anymore. You can't be that person. But what I was really dealing with was the depression that I was feeling from what had happened, the tragedy that happened when I was six years old. And I did check myself into a mental health facility and I did get the help I needed. So I, I, I you know, I want to commend you for, for, for saying that. And there needs to be more self-awareness sort. there needs to be more of a recognition between the sports psychologists. And when the therapist steps in and says, Hey, listen, this is something more than just a sports injury. This is more than something just, has to do athletics. So, so you bring up a very valid point with that. What does maintaining your mental health look like today for you? Um, well, kind of rebuilding my life, you know, kind of after, you know, I got out of treatment and then especially in coming back to skating, um, really getting that support system. As I said, like really, um, like I found two coaches that really understands you know, what happened to me and like, you know, we had talked about it and, um, communication has been huge, especially with mm -hmm. my, um, coaches and, you know, kind of other skating related support staff. So, you know, being able to say just when, um, and just like certain triggers. Um, so like, mm -hmm. I don't like the word, um, so I had a coach growing up and if I wasn't having a good day, it's because I was, um, heavy. It's because I was fat. It's because I was too big. And, mm. you know, people around would be like, Oh, like she skated really well yesterday. Like maybe she's just not 
she being me, like, um, feeling it today, but that was, it was immediately weight related. So, um, wow. any kind of use of the word heavy, cause sometimes a jump can land heavy. I, I was really clear about communicating. That's a trigger for me. And I'm going to mm. kind of check out of the lesson because now all I'm thinking of is I'm too heavy and or saying like, if I'm having an off day, it, my go-to is going to be go harder. Um, work out excessively, like restrict my intake as if that is a magic fix. Cause that's how it was sold to me as a child and a teenager, but you know, just being able to communicate that or, and just checking in, like, is this, is this, um, feeling that I'm having or just letting them know huge, huge, huge with coaches and with my friends and family as well. So not just self-awareness, but being able to communicate that self-awareness to someone who might not have personally experienced what I'm describing, but can empathize and say, and we kind of work through a solution, you know, Oh, what, what can I say? Um, or how should I, um, be around you when, and just kind of opening that, just having that dialogue and opening that communication has been big. Um, when I came back to skating after my miniature retirement after treatment, I, it became tricky because I was, I had put on a lot of weight. So then it became a really difficult, um, thing to lose weight and to get fit again and get in shape while recovering from an eating disorder. Cause I'd kind of mm -hmm. gone both ends of the spectrum. So just managing that, um, it can kind of be a daily thing, um, really. Sure. And sometimes if I find myself restricting or just thinking, you know, I'll just go for a run or even while I'm, um, it's my favorite form of cardio. If I'm out running thinking, I'll just, I'll just do one more mile. I'll just do one more mile. And I think, do you really need to do one more mile today? Or, <laughs> um, are we, what's going on? Like, let's take inventory. Are we, running away from a feeling? Are we trying to avoid something? Is this some sort of, you know, like self-harm kind of punishment thing? Just those daily check-ins, but that's probably been the hardest part. It's interesting you bring up triggers because words are so powerful and coaches have to be, coaches almost have to go through a therapeutic process in my opinion. And now that I'm a, now I'm a coach is that I really watch my communication with my athletes. And it's very, it's very imperative that you use certain words to trigger positive as opposed to a negative emotional response. What advice would you give a young athlete or anyone struggling with mental health concerns? First off, that you are not alone. And mm -hmm. that um, to struggle in any way is really part of the human experience. And although, you know, that the suffering and sometimes the struggle, mental, physical, whatever, you know, we do kind of need that to, you know, it's you, uh, you can't love a rose without its thorns. Right. So mm. although <laughs> you're not struggling alone and that there is help and that there's a whole community of people that can relate to you. And I don't mean that, you know, you're not alone or unique in their problems to dismiss, um, or to be dismissive of them. I'm saying so many of us can relate and then share, you know, what helped us. And even if there's no fixing, sometimes you just need someone to sit down with you in those dark days and just 
just sit with you. Just hold your hand. You know, you don't have to fix it. Just to feel. Because I always found with myself um, things like um, exercise, obviously, as an athlete was kind of my big one. It was a great way to avoid feeling. And I used productivity to avoid that instead of sitting down with any of those struggles. And as far as being an athlete and a coach, um, coaches are not telepathic. So I do, um, and I do seminars and some coaching and I say, you know, like I'm not telepathic. Um, Mm -hmm. and my coaches aren't. So if there's something going on, you know, even if you don't have the precise like clinical terms or, you know, just start talking, the hardest part is starting. So just start describing and let me know, is this helpful or did that certain phrase or this tactic bring something up for you? Um, and in a sport like skating, like I spend more time with my coaches probably than with my parents. They are caregivers in what can be a really great way or a really detrimental way. And, you know, when you have a caregiver and somebody that, you know, you see every day and that you trust them with your athletic career and, you know, hopefully kind of like them at least a little bit as maybe a person, I guess it's not required. Um, the things that various coaches have said to me, especially my adolescent years and like young adult years, you don't forget that. It's like when a parent says something like kind of messed up to you. Um, you know, I can still hear some of the things my coaches have said, some good and some bad. But now that I'm mm. self-aware and I'm a little bit older and I have a better understanding of mental health, um, I think it is a bit of a two-way street. Um but also to all the young athletes out there, or even, you know, middle or adult athletes, whatever. If you communicate something to a coach that says, uh, this is triggering for me, or this is bringing something up for me, um, this, you know, phrasing or this strategy, it's not, it's not landing right. It's making me like not feel good. Um, and if they are not receptive to that, um, you probably should find a different coach. Um, and I'm not saying that like the coach should baby you, but you know, if say, as I said, Oh, Hey, like the word heavy, not a great, um, not a great one for me. And just, yeah, the way that you can land a jump and it's, as I said, you know, heavy, um, that brings up a lot of like, that's a triggering word for me. That's, that can really send me kind of into an eating disorder flare up, um, And then it's all I think about for the rest of the session, right, as well. So now we've lost productivity. So if I told that to my coach and they were not receptive and they didn't understand and they said, oh, that's your problem, like not mine, like um, I would probably find a different coach. Sure. Um, Sure. Again, communication to Way Street. How has it been for you now? Are athletes and people reaching out to you for advice? I would say, um, not just for advice, but, um, a lot of support. And I do find, um, some advice. I don't always feel a hundred percent comfortable giving advice because I am not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. Um, I am simply a figure skater that has had a mental health struggle and persevered through some of those really dark times, some of those life, possibly life ending dark times. Um, so I can really just share my experience with someone and see if any of that relates. And, 
you know, I can try my best. I can just say maybe what worked for me. Or if I was in that situation, I think this is what I would do, or this is what would make me feel better. Um, or, you know, this wouldn't work, but yeah, it's always touchy to give advice because not, not, not a, (laughs) not a medical professional, um, or, or a replacement for it. But yeah, it's, um, it has been really wonderful. And I, I do seminars, I guess called like the Gracie gold talk, whatever. Um, but I essentially talk to the kids, um, about, I just kind of start talking and just kind of give a general rundown of what happens, um, in my career. And then I bring it up with the mental health struggles and the things that I faced and I experienced. And then I kind of, I like to open it to a Q and a, so it's a little bit more organic, but sure. if the kids don't ask questions, then a lot of them will come up and not just kids. I mean, teenagers will come up after, and it's just really nice when they, they're like, Oh, I, when you said this, like that resonated with me mm-hmm. or I've never met anyone or none of my friends understand, or these people don't understand X, like, you know, whatever it is, but you talked about it and just kind of just connection, connecting with another human. You're not alone. And just that community of being open to mental health has been really, really touching. Sure. That con- that connection to young athletes and the people is probably very imperative. And it's also too, makes a very big difference in a lot of people's lives. What's the next chapter for Gracie Gold look like? Um, well, I stopped, stopped making like five-year plans, you know, ages ago. Um, they never turned out quite like I anticipated, <laughs> um, for better, for worse. But, um, this is an Olympic season for, uh, winter athletes. So the 2022 games are in Beijing. So that's kind of just kind of taking it this season, one skating season at a time. So mm-hmm. Just um, kind of starting competition season um, already. And then, you know, hopefully some international events in the fall, kind of in the build up towards figure skating doesn't have Olympic trials, but our national championships um, serve that purpose. So there is a selection committee, um, but you ideally would want to be in like the top two or, you know, top two or three to make it to Hmm. Beijing and then... I guess um, we'll have to do another podcast after that and I can give you more updates. Oh, that'd be great. I ask all my guests about rituals. Um, I'm what they call part of the 5 a.m. club. I wake up, I do an incantation where I say like by December 31st, 2021, I'll accomplish this by doing this. I'll journal, then I'll meditate, I'll work out and then take an ice bath. Do you have any morning rituals or rituals that you subscribe to on a daily basis to get mentally ready for your day? Um, What is it like to be a morning person? (laughs) a morning person. I love the feeling of that alone time where it's just me and my mind. And I just like today, when I was preparing for this podcast, I started preparing at 5am to put myself in a mental frame of mind where I'd be able to communicate, relate to you and create rapport. And that's what I asked for in my morning meditation. So being a morning person for me personally sets my day to tone a day. Cause I, I have a big thing. I, I try to live each day as it will be my last. And that's what I go for because I never know what I'm going to take my last breath in it. But what I always want to give to whoever I'm communicating with is the best version of myself to give them the best version of themselves. I like that. Cause I, I know a lot of people like, and you've kind of, everyone's heard the expression, like not everyone deserves your best or if 
maybe that's just in the skating community. Um, I think that they do. And I like that you said that. I think I also tried to give everyone my best, um, whether they, you know, act in a way that may, might seem deserving. I don't feel like it's my place, but yeah, I, I like that you said, you know, I try to give everybody my best and I think everybody deserves my best self. Um, and yeah, to make them their best self, is that what you said? Mm-hmm. It was really well said. Yes. Um, so I am more, um, I am not a morning person, so I don't have any 5 a.m. rituals, but I'm more at the, I kind of have a similar, I try to get a similar feeling to you at the end of the day. And that's kind of when mm. I find my quiet where maybe, um, yeah, it's quiet. And especially I do have a tendency to stay up too late. Um, I'm a night owl, but, <laughs> um, but just, yeah, that quiet, everyone else is resting. And I just feel like, I always feel like I have more anxiety in the morning or more stress. And I have like whiteboards like all around my apartment. That's I, I just write lists. I just make lists or thoughts. It's very kind of scatterbrained, but, um, yeah, like most service there's white, there are whiteboards or they like whiteboard contact paper now, which has been clutch, but that's kind of my, <laughs> if I thought I just write it down. But also oh, I like that it's not permanent, so I can't fully erase it. And meditating kind of set it, putting everything away from today. And then I also set, because I'm not a morning person, all my stuff out for tomorrow, go through what I'm doing tomorrow. And then that way, when I do wake up, probably a little late, I'm ready to go. But I kind of like to do um, no ice baths. I think maybe just giving an ice <laughs> rink all day. Um, no, thank you. Um, although I commend you, I know that they're good for you. Um, I'm more of a you're a morning person, ice bath, and I'm very much a um, night owl, hot shower, or hot bath oh, um, person. But yeah, I kind of have my nightly ritual. I would say that's great. That is great. What legacy do you want to be remembered for? What legacy do you want to leave behind? Um, that's a big question, I suppose. Um, I haven't thought a lot about my legacy, but I guess, um, I guess that I, I tried to, as I said, give everybody my best and give everything, you know, just 100%, 110%, um, in on and off the ice. And, mm. And I guess in skate, I just, I guess maybe there's something probably with like mental health. I guess I was one of like maybe the first skaters to kind of like speak out about it, like really publicly, but just, I guess above all else, I am a little bit resilient, um, knock on wood. So I guess just, um, just always get back up. I mean, I know it's a cliche, like fall down seven, get up eight. Um, even if not, there is some truth to that cliche, but, um, even if you don't get up, immediately like if you need to take a breath there take it for yourself i've never thought about what legacy i would leave behind um that is i will do some thinking on that what what legacy do you want to leave behind see i always think about defining that dash the the dash between my birth and death and i always say i went to the worst of times to give people the best of times and that's what my whole mantra is to myself is to give people the best opportunity to grow. And when they were with me, whether it was for one minute or a hundred minutes, 
that I brought out the best in them. And that's a legacy I want to leave behind. I guess I always say like one of my favorite parts of being a skater um, and being able to, you know, to do what I do for a living, but I love people. Um, mm. And especially, you know, as of late, it's, it's become easier. I know a lot of people are like, oh, like, I hate people or like blah, blah, blah. Or I kind of some like I can kind of get that feeling. I've met some that I'm like, uh, maybe not my <laughs> favorite, but I do love but still meeting them in some way, you know, touched me in the same way that I hope that whoever I meet just I love that connection, even if it's a small mm. moment. Because um, ultimately, I guess, you know, in kind of the quilt of our lives, it's really stitched together by like certain, you know, smells and textures and feeling and moments mm-hmm. in time that changed who you were irrevocably like for better or for worse. And I guess I would just like to know that someone somewhere, at least, you know, I was able to make the world feel safer for them. And that I was able to connect with them, especially in the mental health that I just, yeah, that I, I just like touched them in some way in the same way. So many people so many people that met me that probably have no idea. I got one of the best pump up speeches of my life from this man on an airplane one time sitting next to me. I have no idea this man's name, but he, um, <laughs> I think about what he said sometimes and just that connection, um, and that it's okay to be vulnerable and that it's okay to be transparent and that it's, it's okay to be you. And then it's also okay if you are, if you turn out or if you've turned out, maybe it's okay that you're not who you thought that you would be because that Mm -hmm. person who you are now is still more than worthy. And so kind of went off on a tangent there. Um, It's okay. It's okay. But I will, I mean, I'm not that young anymore. I should probably start working on, I like, as you said, what the dash is between your birthday and your death date. I should probably start working on like that you had a nice short line. Um, it's something to think about. And I also like how you said that between the dash between birthday and death date, like what's, I feel like that's probably a thought provoking question for anyone um, who's listening. Um, I'm not left speechless yeah. that often. <laughs> so if people want to learn more about you, where can they find you on social media? Um, so I, um, have um an Instagram um at GracieGold95. Twitter is Grace the letter E Golds. Um and you can find me at the local ice rink in Aston, Pennsylvania. Oh. Well Gracie, it's been an honor to have you on the show and I thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. Um it was a real pleasure. That is going to be it for today's episode. I want to say a big thank you to Gracie for joining us this week and opening up about her story. I think it's important to bring awareness and recognition to mental struggles that professional athletes can face throughout their careers. If you enjoy this week's episode, make sure to give us a follow, leave a review, and listen up for new episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Jay Cardiello, and this has been Stories of Strength, personal and inspirational tales that redefine strength, presented by MuscleTech.